I'm Annie Fox. And I'm Laurel Pinson. And this is Workwives, conversations at your desk with the woman who knows you best. Do you think you want to be a mom? I do now, yes. Like you, I didn't think I was going to. Well, I didn't think I was ever going to get married, let Mm -hmm. alone have... What in your mind do you picture it being like? It's a great question. You know, I have no idea. Um, And you know when you you lie in bed and you sort of like sort of sleep dream, awake dream just Mm -hmm. before you go to sleep and you like work through, you know, the things that happened in that day and I should have said that in that meeting. It would have been so smart. Um, I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about you know, sort of falling asleep to the thoughts of what it would be like and to be a parent and what I will specifically be like as a parent. And obviously there's, you know, depending on the day, I will be like the most hilarious, insightful mother ever that has like a million and one games that are both fun and educational. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm like, I would be a fucking disaster because I would just have one hand on a wine bottle and the other hand in a Dorito packet, just sort of calling out to nobody to say, <laughs> what the fuck do I do? Like, I have no idea. And Nash in the background mothering, which is basically what my relationship <laughs> exactly, with Joel exactly. was a bit like. I was like, let's be clear. I don't know that I've done anything in my life that even hints at what it would be like. I mean, I've babysat people's kids before, but you walk into a room and you it, the context is already different. Now I'm like, wacky Auntie Annie. And it's like hilarious to be the funny person that like you know puts a cheese stick on her head and pretends to be a unicorn well that's 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 which is that's completely different to being i don't know i mean (laughs) the closest i've been to like a parenting situation was i was at a friend's house recently when i was back in australia she has two kids she's a little boy who's like this age Okay. And a Gesturing little girl who's like about three this feet age. off the floor and about four she's and a half in school. Feet off the she's floor. been in school for two years. She's no, okay. no yeah. And he is. So in, she's probably like eight. And he's like five. So it's just after the holidays. Everyone's got presents. We're playing with the new toys. They get a like electric guitar and microphone set. Sweet. Cool. Super cool. It comes in a single box, so it's technically one gift, but it has many parts. Mm-mm. And it has isolated parts that are very clear. Like you get the guitar, you're the guitarist. You get the microphone, you're the singing person. So the 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 monkey wrench is that in the bottom of the box we find a, a hands free like it goes around your ear into your mouth microphone. Huh. So now there are two singers, Uh-oh. and and one person is a guitarist and a singer. Oh geez. And it's all coming out of the same amplifier with one volume knob. So now. It, it somehow, just because of proximity, I guess, it, and I'm an adult, it becomes my responsibility to to somehow fix it so they both sound equally loud coming out of the same amplifier. Obviously, yeah. I can't do this because they're screaming at different levels. Anyway, it was a fucking nightmare. I'm, I'm flipping the knob and they're yelling at me and they're like, I don't understand why you're fucking with us like this. We just want to sound the same loudness. And I'm like, I hear the request, but I can't fix it. And then they start fighting with each other and they're fighting with me and I'm failing. And so I said, I tried to be so rational. And I said, look, how do you know that the volume is the same for each of you? It sounds the same to me. Can we say then that you sound equal? And they both looked at me like they had no fucking idea what I was talking about. They both smashed the toys on the ground <laughs> and started yelling. And I just, after I tried with like with logic to help and it failed, all I could say was, I'm done with this conversation. And I just <laughs> left. I just left. I left them both there, clearly fighting and distressed and with no resolution and just sort of walked away and joined the grown-ups in the other room. Didn't tell anybody. 
didn't say, hey, because Jules, why? I think there's a breakdown happening in the other room. You should go sort that out. And I just pretended it wasn't happening anymore. And I just feel like maybe that's probably not a good sign. See, I would say <laughs> that is like spot on parenting first of all <laughs> she's just like fuck i've tried i tried one thing no, it didn't work I'm the, done. well the couple of the, the couple of things that i will say about this experience is one these aren't your kids so you're actually probably paying more attention to the situation than the parent would be the parent has watched them fight and has watched this dynamic play out multiple multiple times so she sees she or he sees it start to happen and immediately sort of can tune it out like in a way that you probably were like hyper keyed into. You were like, they are really upset that they're not at the same volume, which their parent was probably like, fuckers, deal with yourself. <laughs> she might have walked out five minutes before you did. Generally speaking, you learned a good lesson, I think, about parenting, which is the same one that you learn once you're actually married and in relationships, which is the like never go to bed angry thing is a lie. Just go to bed. Like similarly, you know, Never leave your kids fighting. Just walk away. Just yeah. Sometimes just walk away. Like that was actually great advice that somebody gave me. Like because especially when you have a little new baby, they're crying all the time. You know because they have multiple weird needs and they're just experiencing the earth for the first fucking time. They might be like, "Gravity is weird. I'm crying." <laughs> like who the fuck knows? Like sometimes yeah. they just cry. But sometimes I is- just cry and I'm nearly forty. Exactly. I'm on the subway and I'm like, oh god performance anxiety that I have for myself pales in comparison to the performance anxiety that I have for my kid, which is really fucked, you know, and something that I know I'm going to have to work on like in life. But when we'll go to a play group and it's like his turn to interact with like the guy with the music instruments, you know, I'm just sitting there like, be cool, Henry, like be cool. Why would Henry just play? Look, Look cute. What are you doing? Like, I know you're cute. Why aren't you being cute right now? And he's fine. Like, it's fine. Like, why the fuck do I care? I don't know. That's that's busted. That's part of being that a parent. Busted. That's part that's of being busted. a parent that is I'm super not looking, busted. I'm not looking forward to that. Um, so we wanted to get an outsider's perspective on motherhood, bad motherhood specifically. So we asked our West Coast editor, Jessica Radloff, to speak to Betsy Brandt. You probably know Betsy Brandt best from Breaking Bad. Um <sighs> Miss that show every Ugh, day. Every day. And she is incredible on it. Um, but right now she is on CBS's Life in Pieces. I'm Betsy Brandt. I'm a mother of two. I have an 11-year-old daughter and a son who just turned eight. What did you expect in becoming a parent? I expected to be busy. I didn't expect to never really sleep again. (laughs) Once they hit a certain age, don't they start sleeping in later, though? Waiting for that day. (laughs) I've heard this. I've heard tell. I've heard tell of that. But my kids have not done that yet. What advice were you given about having kids that you found out was... People told me to wait. At 31? Yeah, people told me to wait. People told me to wait. People out here in the industry, not a, a, you know, a few, just seeing a few women, they were like, wait, you've got this going on right now. Um, and you, you know, just wait. And I was like, well, for what? Aside from people telling you to wait, and I love how everybody has an opinion about everybody else's lives, oh, about, sure. oh, this is what Especially you need to do. With babies. And how long you should, if you should breastfeed them and how long. And I was like, really, why is everyone, all of a sudden my boobs have never gotten more attention. Never. 
And, and it just, and it really annoyed me. Like, and that's a good thing about, I think if you're a little older when you have kids, you're a little, I mean, there's some things you're just never ready for, but you're a little more ready Yeah. for all the opinions of your family, strangers, your friends, you know, and most people mean well. Um, I always say this, that whenever I see new parents, you know, if I, especially a new mom, I just say, well, you're doing, clearly you're doing a great job. So when is a time that you ever felt like, gosh, I, people, if they only knew some of the things I've done, they would think I'm such a bad parent, but it's really not that bad. I, on a regular basis, try and get my daughter to swear. No. My daughter is 11, incredibly sweet. And she's, she's soft-spoken. And I always try and get her to swear. I'm like, oh, what is, what's the F in WTF? And she just won't do it. Every time I say, mama. And one time I said, okay, just spell it. Just whisper it in my ear and spell it. And she comes up to me and she goes, F you. And I said, F you too. That's how you talk to me. I gave birth to you. I gave life to you. Now, you were telling me earlier before we started that you will have them skip school yeah. at times. So tell me, tell me about this grand yeah. plan because so I love, love it. it. Um, we don't I, have snow days here, so you've got to take advantage. when we lived in New Mexico, my kids did get snow days. They thought that was awesome. Um, my mom was a teacher, so I never, you know, some of the families that would be out of town because they're at Disney, and so you miss some school. That was never my family because my mom was a teacher. You always went to school. Um, and I know it's not all about me, but with my schedule, sometimes I feel like I don't really have time with my kids. And my son, you know, even when he was really little, I, re- I remember putting together that he acts out when he needs someone on one time. You know, so we were back in New York for not quite a week, but I pulled them out for, we went, we did a long weekend. I had the week off and I was out doing some press and, um, they, I took them out of school for two days and this teacher just really did not appreciate that. There was just no reason. And then someone else from the school, she went up to my daughter at lunch and said, you can't miss school. I used to do, I kid you not about eight hours of homework a night. Oh my God. I was a workaholic kid. So my parents felt so bad for me that all I did was work that my mom said to my dad, she can't, she can't keep staying up late. You're going to have to, she's like, hon, you're going to have to write her history paper for her. So my dad wrote most of my history papers. And you have to understand my dad is the most loyal, good guy. But he would write them, and then he would go over them with me. And then the funniest thing, I mean, this is probably the worst thing he ever did. When the papers would come back, he would always get an A. And, you know, the teacher would call me out. Meanwhile, on all my tests, I'd get a C. And we couldn't figure, you know, the teacher was like, how does she get an A on the essays? And she gets a C on the, on the test. I, I try and take a page out of um, my character on Life in Pieces. She is not the perfect mom, not even close. None of us are, but she doesn't try to be. She's fine with not being. And she's not like, oh, you'll be fine. You know, it's not, it's, she's, you know, uh, she's definitely a mama bear. She would do anything for her kids, loves them. But I feel like she, that's the stuff she doesn't really sweat. Even though when you see me a lot, I'm making dinner on the show, which I joke with them about. I'm like, no one in the kitchen this much.
Kinson. You've said that you thought you wouldn't need your mother when you first had Henry, and then obviously she came to stay with you and, and hung out with you for a while, and mm-hmm. upon your going back to work, couldn't imagine doing it without her. I think you have real performance anxiety thinking about your mom coming and watching you because you know mm. like like you I I just feel like I could never live up to my mom. I mean, my mom was there all the time. She was there for every scrape. I feel like, you know, I'm yeah, sure yeah. she remembers it completely differently, but I just feel like any time I was sick, she was there. Any problem I had, any time I was scared, she always gave the best advice. She just seemed so, you know, she'd have like a song at the end, she'd have like a comedy, she'd tell you a joke. To be clear, I felt very I already felt like I'd been a horrible parent just by the way my pregnancy went down. I delivered really early. I was six months pregnant when I had my kid. And being a mom who delivers a very preterm child already feels like a huge failure. Like I couldn't carry a kid to term. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't do it. Um, Like either your body betrayed me or I didn't want him badly enough. Like you get really dark just in terms of where – you are and to have my mom come in who I just felt like had of course done everything right even though she joked when I was pregnant she was just like you know you can't do everything right you know don't read any of the book you know it's every woman's different and all of this stuff it's still your mom who you sort of of see as like the pinnacle of maternal achievement if you're fortunate enough to have had moms like we did but then when she was there she just knew how to help in a way that honestly I wouldn't have been able to describe to other people because she's your mom she's your mom exactly and as she stressed she was like you're my baby I don't need another baby you know what I mean yeah she was like I'm not here for Henry yeah she's here for you I'm here here for you because like you're my baby I mean now she's obsessed with Henry of course of course course. because that's what happens but I like wept when she left like on the day (sighs) she was leaving I even just confessed I was like I was so unsure about you being here and like now that you've been here like it has just been absolutely transformative it was amazing for our relationship I think too mm-hmm. like so Laurel you were home mm-hmm. back home yep um recently back home in Houston back home in Houston recently um and you hung out with your mother I did and I really wanted to talk to her about being a mom um and especially about being you know like a perceived like the mistakes that you feel like you're making or how you feel like you can never live up to the ideal mom that you want to be which of course you know, she cutely was like, I can't believe, like, you finally want to interview me for your podcast and it's about being a bad mom. <laughs> and I was like, no, I mean, you're like the best mom, like, obviously, which is, of course, true. But um, but she was she very sweetly agreed to talk about it. I came home to Houston, and I thought it would be a good time to talk to the best mom in the universe, (laughs) my mom. I wanted to talk to you about being a mom, because now I'm a mom. And, you know, I know when I first had the baby and you came, I was very adamant that I really didn't need help, like when you first came to help me out. And I was like, I don't need help. This is going to be great. And at the end of the time that that you were there, I was like, oh, my God, did I need so much help, first of all. And second of all, that of course, because you were my mom, you knew the right kind of help as opposed to the wrong kind of help. In some ways, and and of course, I was going to make jokes about this initially, like I can't believe we're talking about bad moms when I am, in fact, one of three best moms in the world. But, <laughs> uh, but I do think that in some ways, there is a great perpetuated lie, which 
as we all know, starts with maybe having the baby, which begins with people saying to you, I had a really easy labor. I was in there for a nanosecond and the baby just popped out and I might have been asleep at the time. And then I had this gorgeous Chanel outfit that I loved with the baby who also had a handmade outfit. And then we had pictures made at the run of the hospital and went home and lived happily ever after. So there's a certain amount of puffing up and oh, I could probably handle this because it seems as though everyone else is doing it. So how long after I was born were you? (laughs) It's always immediately. Of course, you covered that up too. Little blush on and, uh, and, you know, and you're like, it's great. (laughs) Everything's going just great. And thanks thanks for asking. And thanks for asking. I was thinking about it and... um, To me, being a mother was the equivalent of taking way too many classes. You overbooked, and you're really not getting the reading done on any of them. That's the difficult part, I think, is that you can't have everything. You can't balance all those balls in the air all at the same time. Something's falling. But one of the things I was going to say about being a mother for me that was lovely, it seems to me that the best that can happen to you is that you have friends that are really good at the things you're not good at. And so you can call them in. Uh, and instead of instead of their being critical of whatever is happening to you, they'll say like, "Oh, I had the same problem. Here's some ways that I fixed this, or I'm bringing over the perfect pancakes this morning for you." So it really is more like it taking a village than attempting to do all these things yourself. In terms of the feel like I can't do anything right compendium of motherhood. I'm out at the park in Fort Greene Park one day with a friend of mine. We're having a picnic. Henry's at the picnic. Really cute. Two of us. And I'm like, I can be on a girlfriend date and have my kid with me. And this is going to be great. And he's just cute and on the picnic blanket and his little outfit. And this is great. And he starts kind of like wandering a little bit. And I'm like, well, that's fine because I'm modern mom who's not a helicopter parent. I don't need to watch him promenade across the park. I don't need to walk with him. He's just like 10 feet off the blanket. No big deal. Slowly he's like... 15 feet off the blanket you know then he's like I don't know 25 feet away from us I'm starting to go like do I go after him do I not go after him do I want to be cool parent do I not be cool parent when all of a sudden he takes this epic tumble like turns out there was like a ridge you know he does like a little roll down the ridge there's like a dirt like cloud that comes up around him and I'm like oh my god so then I'm running after him you know and of course all the other parents in Fort Greene Park are like whose child is this he's just tumbling down the side I mean I'm making it sound more dramatic than it obviously was I mean he probably slid like a foot you know but I was like oh my god it's a cliff and he's gone down it I pick him up he's crying he's got a little scrape on his face and I'm just like I, I this was a horrible plan now I'm like horrible so it's just it's so it turns on you that quickly where right. you kind of go from being the mom that's like he wandered a little bit and took a little tumble he's a little boy that's right. what's gonna happen to I'm the bad mom who let him wander for more than 15 feet out of my vision, and he tumbled. The first part of this is, to me, is that obviously we each get individual children. And so so assuming that my child reacts the same way that another 
uh, parents' child reacts. Some children just go to sleep at night. Some children have happy dispositions, and others have colic. And and so you're dealing with your own child, their fears, their anxieties, and you kind of know that. And But you hit, the moment you go outside the apartment, you get criticisms like, um, why isn't she wearing a hat? Or, you know, do you think that coat is warm enough for a child at this point? And so you're constantly reevaluating. There's a million little things that happen that way. And then, of course, as you got older, I would cut the sandwich the wrong way, and it was a complete disaster. And, of course, a great mom would have just instinctively known that you need your sandwich cut in a certain way. Okay, so maybe I don't have it so bad after all. But the word that I sort of keep coming back to in my own mind is the idea of permission, that the sort of greatest gift that any mom gives their daughter, or, you know, person gives another person going through the process of, like you said, understudying for an exam and showing up having no skills for the test whatsoever and having to learn it on the fly, and just giving that person permission to figure it out, you know, and not sort of say, you don't have it figured out already, or like, well, because you don't have it figured out, you're going to be a total failure. Anyone who comes in with a blanket advice for a working woman about how to deal with all of this every day is going to be different. There's the day that your child forgot their school thing, and could you just drop what you're doing and come get and bring it and... And and that's mild compared to the day they got sick and needed to do this or that. But there's just little crises that develop that you can't, and crises at work. So you just, boy, I would have to say, bring a sense of humor. Bring a sense of humor. Although I do remember one of my friends saying to me, when I was starting work again, she said, Karen, and I was concerned because I'd been out of the workforce for a while at that point. It was like, oh my gosh, you know, getting dressed to go to work in the morning and, uh, and being my adult self again in that way. And she said, Karen, it's a snap. No one throws up on you at work. <laughs> she said it's it's really heaven there no one throws up on you at work and if a big problem develops people say let's get coffee and sit down and talk about this <laughs> no one starts screaming crying and throwing themselves on the floor i remember one person one woman gave me the advice when I first started working. And I think it's pretty standard advice that if, if a sort of new thing doesn't scare you a little bit, then it's not challenging enough. Um, which I thought was pretty good advice, although it sort of sets you up for a lifetime of I was going to say, I'm not sure I really love that. You know, if you're afraid, it's okay. What, what, really? <laughs> you know? My job is terrifying? No. I mean, yeah. I th- obviously, I think she meant it like you right. should be pursuing things that maybe seem a little outside your depth, right. you know, because that's how you learn and grow, and it's easy to sort of stay in a spot that can yes. become circular and you just feel comfortable and safe. I do think that there was a time when I when I went back to work and I would see other mothers first thing in the morning, and we did have that look with each other like, yeah, 
we made it. We're out of the house with clothes on. Pants buttoned. <laughs> Warriors. <laughs> right. There was a certain warrior to just arriving uh, at work in, in quote-unquote, one piece. Well, if things got very personal and heavy in this episode, it's probably good. I mean, it's about moms. Um, so coming out on a happy note. Yeah. What was your flamenco in your heart moment of the past week? Do you have one? Um, I've been sick this week, as you could probably tell. <clears throat> um, and I was working from home yesterday. And recently we turned the spare room into a study. Ooh, chic. Yeah. And so now I have a place to go and, and write. And yesterday, in between napping and actually working, I wrote a lot. And it made me feel like I had a space to do it. I have a corkboard above my desk. I was writing ridiculous little, like, things, like, questions to myself and pinning it up on a corkboard in front of me and just contemplating. You know, it's just satisfaction in the real sometimes. Oh, yeah. I have have a printer. I have a printer and I printed something out I didn't Ah. even need on paper just because I was like, I got a printer printing something out punching holes with it because I have a hole punch and putting it in a ring binder. It's like the satisfaction of a carriage return on a typewriter. You're like, do, 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 exactly. And that made me flamenco in my heart. Oh, yeah, that I really did. great. How about you? Um, what was your flamenco moment? Hmm. Trying to think. So my kid is 18 months, um, which means he's sort of nonverbal, but like communicative, mm. you know, like he'll point at pointing? the fridge if pointing. he's hungry. Hot. Love pointing. Um, you know, he, he knows some signing, which Woo! is kind of adorable. That is some you know, classy so sort of do, shit. Yeah. So he'll do like please and thank you. Um, but he really loves books, um, which is great for me because I also love books and so does my husband. And so he has this like <laughs> – he has this literally a tr- little truck like that will push around and it has, you know, like a bunch of room in the back and he just packs books into the back, you know, mm. that he'll sort of take out and put in like it's a library card. And one no, it's morning his this week – it's his nose arc. But, you know, but like, you know, depending which one's in heavy rotation is like how you know which where he is for the week. You know, like, OK, this is more like a trucks week. All right. Gotcha. But one morning this week, I was really tired and I woke up and I got my coffee and I went upstairs, you know, and he's just like we call him we call it marauding, you know, where he's just like, you know, sailing from couch to couch, just destroying things, you know, because he's like all oh boy. Um, and he pulls his little truck around and he gets out this library book that I did not know that he had gotten from the library. You know, he and the na- his nanny went to the library and got this book, pulls out this book and it's called I Love My Mommy. And he Ooh, holds it girl. up and gives it to me like, I want you to read it with me. And I just, I mean, T- collapsed, tell me they were t- collapsed into tears. You know, yeah. and he's like, well, I don't understand what the big deal like, is. Read the book. And I was like, you are truly a pinson, my nugget. That was manipulative as shit. <laughs> Worked, though. I was like, you're getting all the things today. <laughs> you know? He was like... Well played, Nugget. Well played, Nugget. Work Wives is produced by Ben Riskin and Acast. Our associate producer, Kateri Benjamin, keeps the ship afloat. And we have production support from the whole staff at Glamour, including Anna Maysline, Lizzie Logan, and Simone Kitchens. And we're recorded right here at Condé Nast Studio in NYC.